Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I remember me and my mom were very disappointed because we like <laughs> brick and how it looks and the construction type. And we thought it was so unique. And it's like, yeah, but it's lipstick on a pig. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field one lady at a time. This season's theme is tools and inventions. Well, we'll be talking about ladies that invented something or were involved in developing a tool used in our field. This week, we are telling the story of Anna Wagner Keichlin, the one that invented the K-Brick and so much more. I'm Jessica Rogers, excited about a future travel to South Korea, and I'm based out of Miami, Florida. Hey, girl. Hey, I'm Lizzie Rar, equally excited about joining Jessica in South Korea from San Francisco. And I'm Nardiri Rivas. Sad I will not be joining y'all in South Korea, <gasps> but super excited to be celebrating my friend's wedding in Houston, Texas. That's right. Let's move on to the disclaimer. We are not experts. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find. If you find an error, let us know and we will all continue learning. All right. So before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to a friend to the show, author and toy inventor herself, Anna Lewis. Her book, Women of Steel and Stone, was a major resource for me in developing today's episode. I love that she also includes her resources at the end of her book as well. So, yes. Bam. Thank you, Anna, for all your research. <laughs> so helpful for us. Anna, Women of Steel and Stone is such a great resource. It really is. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's begin. We are in Belfonte, Pennsylvania. On May 24th, 1889, Anna Wagner Keichlin was born. Her parents were John and Sarah Wagner Keichlin. Her father was an attorney whose ancestors immigrated to America from Germany back in the 1740s. Okay, I had to look up where Belfonte is because I was curious. You know, I love a map. But 
It's actually right near State College, Pennsylvania, which is where Penn State is. Almost college town. That's right. Yeah. You know how I love stories from childhood. So for this one, I got a story. So when Anna was little, she loved woodworking. There was even an article written about this little girl and her love for woodworking. Her parents would encourage her too, because they would give her any tool that she needed. It's like pre-Legos, mini architect in the making here. (laughs) I love it. Also so fun that they wrote an article about her. She must have been really doing some cool stuff to like get noticed and they were like, let's write about this little girl. Mm-hmm. Right? I wonder what pieces got featured in the article. That's really neat, getting recognition at such a young age. Yeah. I want to know like what projects she worked on. And I also don't know exactly how young she was when she started, but she must have been doing this woodwork stuff for a while. Because by the time that Anna was 14, word had gotten around of her excellent craftsmanship or craftswomanship. That needs to be workshop. We need new terms. Well, anyway, what's good is that after her work doing this stuff, Anna already knew that she wanted in on the AEC industry. How could word not get around? There was an article written about her. That's what articles do. They spread the word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Also, okay, Anna, I mean, I relate to knowing early on that you wanted to be in the industry, right? Yeah, we sure do. (laughs) So Anna would graduate high school in 1906, okay? What I forgot to mention earlier was that Anna had an older brother that was attending Pennsylvania State College. So after high school, Anna decides to follow him and go there for school to study mechanical engineering. And of course, she would be the only woman in her class. Of course. Yeah, not surprising at that time. But I'm glad she was able to get into the engineering department. Also, we should mention that Pennsylvania State College eventually becomes Penn State University as we know it today. They have a great architecture and engineering program at their school. Oh, I didn't know that. Very interesting. That is very interesting. Well, Anna wouldn't last there too long because after a year of going there, Anna would transfer to Cornell University to study architecture. (laughs) Whiplash over here, but okay, Anna, changing it up, changing it up. (laughs) There goes that. I wonder if by then they were still doing watercolors like Catherine Bauer said on episode 24. (laughs) 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 But also she she probably wanted to leave like she was so close to home. Right. Maybe she wanted to go a little further. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, maybe she was doing watercolors. Maybe not. What I do know is that Anna was booked and busy. OK, shake it and bake it and doing all of the things, because besides doing in quotes, watercolor and architecture school. She was a member of the drama club, the basketball team. She was elected junior class officer, and she was a part of the honor society that they called Raven and Servants. Oh, my gosh. That's so many things on top of architecture school. Like, I cannot (laughs) imagine... With what time? I know. Always so curious when architecture students have a life. Like, how? How do they do that? (laughs) Today, I met a lady in architecture school that wants to start a podcast. And I'm like, girl, you go. You do your podcast. Right? Like, 
they just must be better students than us. Much more efficient. Maybe. Or more confident. I don't know. Like, I've done my work and things. it's good. <laughs> also, let's not move on before we discuss that that honor society has a very Harry Potter name. Raven and Serpent, right? <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, yeah. We cannot overlook it's it. It's all of it. <laughs> it might as well be called Ravenclaw and Slytherin. That's yes. all it, it is. <laughs> literally what it is anyway so Anna you know she's doing great she was even given an award for outstanding achievement in scholarship leadership and public service amazing okay so I know we've talked about a couple of Cornell grads but I don't think we've come across this issue until now so Anna in her senior year despite being you know queen bee super popular all around amazing her family and others were concerned that Anna wasn't going to receive a diploma or a degree because apparently at this time, colleges and universities were giving women certificates after they completed college instead of degrees and diplomas. What? That's some BS. Like, if they let you into the school, it feels like they should give you a diploma for finishing. That's like, they're moving the goalposts. I'm not into it. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. I ran across this issue with another lady that we're going to discuss this season, and it's very confusing. I don't want no certificate. Give the ladies the diploma. They did the work. Cut the crap. I guess I just don't understand, like, if you let them in, like, what difference does it make? I don't know. It's literally moving the goalposts, like you yeah. said. And and it's funny because I think about like what's it called? They complain that like our generation, we got certifications for completion. This lady went to college. She beyond completed it. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I think we might have mentioned maybe something similar to this in previous seasons. Like I feel like we have to have, but this will actually come up with a few of our ladies, I think, not just the one that Nerjadine mentioned, but I think a couple of our other ladies this season. But I'm telling you, the people loved Anna. Like, if Cornell didn't give her a diploma, people were saying that they were going to protest the ceremony. That's right. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love me a good peaceful protest. Now, <laughs> part of me wants it to happen. <laughs> Well, our story would have gotten more exciting, I guess, or more disappointing. I don't know, depending on what that outcome would have been if they had to protest. It could have worked. I'm thinking and hoping that maybe this certificate nonsense might have been the case for the rest of the university to like get their crap together because there was no protest. Anna did graduate with a diploma. Woo! Woo! Yes. In fact, Anna would be the fifth woman to receive an architecture degree. Okay, wait, hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, yeah, there was precedent before to give women diplomas, but they just were like, Anna maybe doesn't get one. Like they decided to like change it and be like, actually, maybe just a certificate. Maybe you had to be like beyond magna cum laude or like... <laughs> Or have a lot of money, maybe, maybe or something. Yeah. Like maybe the first know. four women had a lot of money. I mean, I'm so glad that she got the diploma, but I'm just I'm confused about their criteria. I am confused about their criteria. I am also thinking that the four women before Anna, that it wasn't easy for them either. Like I'm maybe sure it wasn't. each woman had to like fight for yeah. it. Yeah. 
But it just seems like once you give one, why would you then like backtrack on it? Exactly. Because they suck. (laughs) I also just don't understand why they were giving Anna a hard time, especially because she had all of these accolades. She was a part of the honor society. She was doing all the things. But I'm also wondering if there was a distinction between the university and the school of architecture. Like maybe the school of architecture was like, yeah, we're going to pass out diplomas like what's the dealio and then the university was like we're not giving all these ladies diplomas this could not be more confusing it's really makes no no, no. sense (laughs) yeah it's i mean i'm trying to understand and i'm making assumptions sure so who knows what the true story is maybe i don't know yay anna has a diploma crisis averted (laughs) right now I know, like, at the end of our season, in our wrap-ups, we always play the, like, what would you rather game. Now, I'm going to jump ahead, even though I know this is, like, episode two of the season. But if I had to pick one of our ladies that I would want to spend studio with, it would be Anna. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in an interview, Anna talks about her college days. And here's what she says. This is a direct quote. At college, we worked Many times, three or four days and nights without stopping. Most always in those stretches, I took time to make coffee and sandwiches for the fellows. Okay, first off, Anna first admits that she was working nonstop, but she's still doing all those extracurricular activities. So just had to like point that out. Yeah. She's superhuman. That's how she did it. Okay. Also, Anna was making friends. Like, this is why she was so popular, right? She's bringing people coffee, sandwiches. But, okay, when she says fellows, does she mean, like, fellow students or fellows like men? I hope so. Only reason I'm iffy is because, like, we know she's probably one of the few women there, and I don't like the idea of, like, the only girl bringing all the guys food and feeding them and stuff. But if I think about it in the context of, like, our studio experience, I would want to be friends with Anna (laughs) to get them snacks, you know? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. She's giving you coffee? Yeah, the whole fellows thing, I like to think she meant like compadres, like yeah. her, like everyone around her. But <laughs> can we point out that this might be the first depiction of studio? Like, we've never heard of studio life in this way with our other ladies. Yeah, I can't think of another instance, but it sounds like it wasn't that different from when we were in it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I had a coffee maker and a microwave under my desk for people to use. So, yep. I think that during the Norma Scaleric episode, we talked about how Norma did not partake in studio life, that she did the work That's at true. home. Okay, yeah. So she didn't tell us about the studio life. Yeah. Yeah. So that was episode two. And 80 episodes later, we are here stumbling upon studio <laughs> details. <laughs> It took a while, but we're here. Yep. We're here. So after college, Anna has started her own firm and she is booked and busy. Okay. She has projects in central Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Washington, D.C. In her hometown, Belfonte, there's a plaza theater, the Cadillac garage, and several apartment buildings like the Harvey apartments and several homes that are under... Anna's belt. So for a period, her firm's office location would actually be in the same office building as where her father had his law office in. Isn't that cute? 
Very cute. But okay, Anna, it sounds like she's getting a lot of work. Yeah, that's so great that she had a good network and confidence to start her own firm right out of college. I love to hear this. Yeah. All right. So all of this is happening pretty quickly after she graduates, because between 1911 and 1917, we enter a pivotal time in the world, the country, and of course, our ladies, World War One. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Here we go. So it's actually interesting to help. In the war efforts, Anna actually volunteers to join the war. Anna is 28 years old, and you have to read this excerpt from Anna Lewis's book, The Women of Steel and Stone, because this week's lady, Anna, says in her letter to the military, I went to college, I can fix cars, I practice in construction, even though I'm 28, I'm stronger than average. And then she goes on to say, direct quote, the above would suggest a drafting or office job. But if you should deem it advisable to give me something more difficult, or as I wish to say, more dangerous, I should much prefer it. Okay. Wow. (laughs) She's like looking for trouble, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I like that she sounds so confident. Mm-hmm. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers, if you like. (laughs) The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good. And, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations, that's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. Okay. Does this lady want to go to, like, actual war? Right? Is she looking to go to Paris or something? <laughs> what is this about, Anna? What, like, <laughs> go do the office job. Stay safe. Yeah. So I think Anna just wanted to help out as much as she can. And because she knew more than most. Like, she knew how to do a lot of things, I think. Yeah. So that's why she just wanted to help. But I think that... Anna was fearless and probably like a real spitfire. Okay. So, like, you know, not to stereotype or anything, but Anna has German roots. And I think they were very much still alive in Anna because she was also able to 
write and speak in German. So that actually like was very helpful for the military. So Anna would actually serve in the military as a special agent for the military intelligence division of the U.S. Army. Wow. So it sounds like she was really able to use her skills to help the war effort, which is good. Yep. Yeah. What I just heard is that she was a spy and hopefully (laughs) that scratches her dangerous itch. Like, I hope that's dangerous enough for her. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so Anna, she was so brave and just so bold. I forgot to mention this, but back in 1913, it was the 4th of July, and Anna led a suffragist parade on the main street of her hometown, Belafonte. So this is before she goes into war or to the war. This is while she was practicing. I wish I could find a photo because Anna was said to be right in front of that parade with a banner held high and she is wearing her college cap and gown, making the statement that women can receive college degrees. Represent. Yes. I love this. Way to show them, Anna. And mind you, this is actually, like I said, this is while she's working at her firm. Right. Basically two years after she graduated college. and. It's two years. She's just starting her practice. And for her to be so bold, it's clear that she didn't care if she lost clients. She was like all about it. I love it. Yeah, no kidding. And it sounds like her business didn't suffer because of it. Yes, very much so. Another interesting fact that I read in 1920 to practice architecture in the state of Pennsylvania, you had to register and take exams to get licensed. So Pennsylvania would be one of the first states to do that, similar to what we have today. Anna, she did her thing, took her tests, registered, and bam, becomes the first woman registered as a woman architect in Pennsylvania. Wow. Get it, get it, get it. Kitty, show them, girl. Pass those tests. Get that license. Do your thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Way to go, Anna. (laughs) Okay, so we are halfway through our story. And now I can finally talk to you about for what she is most known for. And because, you know, it's the theme of our season. So in the late 1920s, Anna would invent what we now know as the K-brick, which is basically a lightweight clay brick that is used for hollow wall construction. Ooh, very cool. This material is an inexpensive alternative to solid concrete walls. Mm-hmm. Okay, this lady invented a building material. How awesome is that? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so what makes this product amazing, besides it being an an inexpensive alternative, like Lizzie said, is that it allows you to add things like insulation and soundproofing to this K-brick design. So... Anna, she knew that she had something good in her hands because she talked about it in newspapers. With this K-brick design, she basically changed the brick construction game. That's right, she did. Will there be photos of this brick in the show notes? Heck yeah. What I love is that Anna, like episode 81, she was recognized for her invention while she was actually able to celebrate it. Because in 1931, the American Ceramic Society honored Anna for the invention of the K-Brick. How wonderful. Do we know why she called it the K-Brick instead of the C-Brick? Well, 
the original name for it, they just called it a building block. That's what they called it. But I believe that they call it the K-Brick because of Anna's last name, the Keiklin. So that's why, you know, they're not going to say the Keiklin brick. They're just going to call it the (laughs) K-Brick. It's more catchy. Easier. Yes. Yes. Yay! (laughs) We love to hear ladies getting recognized for their works while they're still alive. Okay, but Jessica, how does this Mm -hmm. compare to the CMU brick, which is maybe something that people are more familiar with? And is the K-Brick still around? Yes. Okay. So to clarify, the K-Brick, this wasn't like a precursor to the CMU block. That was actually already invented and had been used for a while. It might just look a little different of how we use it today or how it looks today, but it's the same CMU thing. But What I can tell you are the key differences between the two. Apparently, they both exist. The CMU, or for those that don't know, Concrete Masonry Unit, it's made of just crushed sand and stone aggregate. But brick, or what the K-brick is made out of, has cement, which I'm guessing is similar to what's in the CMU. But it also has sand and lime added to it. Oh, okay, I see. Got it. So then with the K-brick, since it's made out of clay, it has this fireproofing element to it already and a soundproof element. So then to also be able to allow that other added insulation, that's what makes it great for this time. And, you know, the material of it being clay, it's able to retain heat better. So the whole conversation between clay and cement is interesting to me because in Florida, all we use is CMU blocks. Like we do not use brick at all in our construction types, like very rarely because it's so expensive for us to use brick. Like it's so much more cost effective to use CMU. And then what I've learned is that brick construction is actually more common up north. That makes sense. And also with like hurricanes in Florida and Texas, CMU would be much, much better. Back to Anna and her work. Okay, so along with receiving a patent for the K-Brick, Anna would receive six other patents for her inventions. Wow. Whoa. So what other things did she invent? So let me break it down. Because the K-Brick was patented in 1927. But before this, she patented a sink for apartments in 1912. She invented a toy in 1916, as well as things used in like kitchen construction in 1926. Patent over here, patent over there, patent everywhere. (laughs) Okay, but that's only three things. So what are the other three? Yes, sorry. I was only telling you the three things that she invented before the K-Brick. I see, I see. Because after, yeah, so after that, she penned a child portable partition gate in 1927, like the same year. Okay. Like a safety? Like a baby gate. Yes. Oh. We know a lot of moms that use these baby gates. Yeah. <laughs> so we can thank Anna for that. Like she was the first to do one. Nice. Oh, Anna also had an invention for a folding bed for apartments. She invented it in 1929. So I'm guessing it's probably another iteration of the Murphy bed or another iteration of what Sarah did in episode 81. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's a pull-out couch. I think I'll need to, like, do some digging and give an update on the wrap-up of what kind of 
pull-out bed, she did. Okay, I'm interested to learn more about that. All right. So, and in 1931, Anna would also invent a ventilation air system. I'm not exactly sure what that is. I focused a lot on the K-Brick, and I was super excited about the child baby gate for some reason. (laughs) But I, I don't know. The ventilation air system, I'm just wondering if maybe Anna would have worked with episode 26 lady, Margaret Ingalls from Carrier. So, I don't know. Wow, she invented a lot of things that we still use today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is such a lovely assortment of inventions. Yeah. All right. So Anna was such an advocate for women in the industry. When it came to the designing of a home, women have an upper hand because of the domestic work that most women do. So and Anna truly believed this. A quote from Anna was, Women, as engineers or architects, have immense opportunities there. There should be scientifically built houses, and this can be done better by women than by man. Indeed, this will never be accomplished until women take hold. Couldn't have said that better myself. Yeah, speaking the truth, Anna. I like that she saw the benefits that women could bring to the profession. This reminds me of episode 7, Jane Drew redesigning kitchens based on her research and experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On February 5th, 1943, Anna would pass away. Even though she didn't marry or have any children of her own, she did have nieces and nephews that loved her very much. Remember, she was the auntie that invented toys. So talk about the best auntie award. Oh, that's really cute that she made toys for her nibblings. It sounds like she had a great career and still was able to keep close with her family. But 54 is young. I don't like all these people dying young. Think of all the things that she could have invented. She Mm -hmm. had six already. Seven. She had seven. Yeah. Seven. Yeah, I agree. She passed away too young. But I'm glad she was able to lead such a fruitful life and that we got to learn about her today. Yes. Yes. All right. So like I mentioned at the beginning of our story, my major resource was a different Anna, our Anna that we know, Anna Lewis, and her book, Women of Steel and Stone. So having spoken to Anna ourselves, Anna Lewis, and her process of researching for this book, I am sure there are several stories and other tidbits about this week's episode, Anna Keiklin, that we know because of the love of Anna's nieces and nephews. Some say like Anna Lewis probably spoke to Anna Keiklin's nieces and nephews. In fact, something that is written in the book is that Anna Keiklin's great niece, Nancy Perkins, is an industrial designer and has three patents herself. Just like Auntie Anna. Oh, like Auntie like niece. I love that the family continued on (laughs) Mm -hmm. with her work or kept on inventing things. Keeping it in the family. Yeah. All right. Now we have reached the second half of our episode, The Carrioted. This is where we select a woman living today that is doing her thing, furthering the profession, and whose work continues to hold the profession up, just like the Greek-style buildings that had women's statues hold up their structures. So, without further ado, this week Carrioted goes to... Carmen Vaughn! Carmen! 
Okay. So Carmen is a project engineer and is also the regional project executive of B&B Builders, which is a construction firm that focuses on buildings related to the life sciences. So we're talking about buildings like libraries, headquarters for science and technology things, campuses, basically very large projects. And they're all located in the San Diego area. One of her most notable projects that she worked on was the San Diego New Central Library. Oh, very cool. Yeah, she sounds very important. Yeah. How I found out about her was funny because I think I was just looking up like general women in construction or like women in particularly like brick construction and I came across this blog post from the San Diego Architectural Foundation the title was called building a strong foundation for women in construction one brick at a time what a great title yeah very catchy okay but so tell us about the bricks she be using. So it didn't really talk about the bricks that she was using. I mean, metaphorically, t- you know. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, honestly, I was looking for physically. I was like, oh, okay, what, like, what kind of bricks? I know, but I'm assuming it's metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being a profile on Carmen and her work, which was actually really cool. Because, and I'll be sure to share a link in our show notes about it, because... Carmen didn't invent anything, but Carmen reminded me of Anna because, you know, Carmen, she is fearless. The work that she does within her career, like in her job, is one thing, but the other stuff that she does, she basically just wants to, like, do good in the world. Carmen, she's a part of the LGBTQ community, and she is very proud of being an out woman. In the blog post that I read, it talks about the amount of big projects that Carmen worked on. All of her projects, they would be valued to be about $850 million in total. So because of this, Carmen is considered to be one of the most accomplished women in construction in the San Diego area. She sounds really impressive and like she's doing a lot to move the profession forward. Yeah. Yes. Imagine being responsible for that many projects and that much money. I'm beyond impressed with this lady. I'm going to be looking her up and all these amazing projects. Some of them, too, are like we're talking about like the big fancy, like fancy library, fancy this. But she also does work in affordable housing. So it's like meaningful work, too. Okay. So before we go, I want to leave you with this quote from Carmen. Quote, my goal is to do the best job I can at all times. I want to serve my clients and my community. I want people to know me as someone who provides excellent service and to be treated as the professional I am. It's always my hope that people know me by my work and by the excellent quality I commit to when I'm serving my clients. I want to put that on a T-shirt. Right. (laughs) Right. I also feel like that's something that Anna would say. Like that quote right there. It reminded me of Anna. I can see that. Before we see you later, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music and John W., our technical producer. And most of all, thank you to all of our listeners out there. Thank you for listening. Remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of projects we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Anna and Carmen along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. 
SheBuilt's podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. If this sounds interesting to you, which I'm sure it does, listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your inventors, your CMU brick and clay and K brick makers. Tell everybody. <laughs> Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. Also, give us five stars on Spotify if you listen to us there. This all helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast, and follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at shebuildspod. Till then, bye! Bye! I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.